Hello and welcome to the 39th British Football Coaches Network episode of the Developing Your Football World podcast. Today I'm joined by James McAloon who is in Vietnam still. James, how's it going? Yeah, excellent, Matt. Uh, it's been a, a nice, nice week. Uh, it's a little bit chillier here than normal, which is a nice change. But yeah, everything's great. Bit of chill. It, it, it's yeah. better than just being really hot every day of the year for the rest of your life. Well, yeah, there's worse things, but yeah, it's all, always nice to remind the body of what the what it feels like to be to be cold without jumping in an ice bath. Absolutely, and ice baths are also good too. James, good to have you with us, mate. And today we are joined by Paul Westren, who's currently in Lesotho, where he's been the senior head coach, whose team's been playing in the Premier League of Lesotho. He's also been the technical director of the academy there, also holding previously other roles working abroad, and we're going to hear all about it now. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. How have you been doing? What's the situation there quickly now, uh, as this is one of the countries we haven't uh, touched upon? Uh, how, how's lockdowns going or are there any restrictions? How's life in general? Yeah, just to let uh, the listeners know, Lesotho is a, a quite a small country which is surrounded uh, surrounded entirely by South Africa. So it's landlocked. Um, I believe it's only one of two countries in the world that are landlocked. So there you go, a little bit of uh, uh, a quiz question or quiz answer for, for some of you. Um, but yeah, we're on to our second hard lockdown currently. Uh, we had uh, one back in March and we're now on to the, the second one. Um, I think day five of 14 days. So uh, yeah, only meant to go out for essentials. So currently just uh, sitting in the house and um, yeah, trying to keep myself sane, uh, as I'm sure most people are around the world right now. And, and has all football and sporting activities been suspended for now? It has um, just only recently for this latest lockdown. Prior to that, the league had, uh, had started. So I think they'd played about yeah, three or four games, I think, uh, into the league before they've currently now suspended it for two weeks pending numbers and, and cases yeah exactly pending and and james just before we, we we get stuck into seeing what paul's been up to can you tell us what the other landlocked country is in the world or one of the other ones i think no, I, I was thinking i think i, I was thinking of i was thinking of one um one i quite thought i came up with one that's quite close to here and i thought it might be loud i'm not sure well, if there is more than another one, I think it is, or Bhutan is one. I think, because apparently Bhutan is the only landlocked country which hasn't been invaded or taken over by other countries surrounding it. Something like this. Uh, don't quote me on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling quite, quite, uh, quite good about that. While you get into the first questions with Paul, I'll have a little Google search, but I'll uh, mute my mic so he can't hear me tapping away. <laughs> smashing and we'll and we'll revisit that yeah. <laughs> paul uh yeah paul that's a good bit of knowledge and it, it, it's got us thinking there awesome start uh so uh you you have been working in some interesting places some really great roles which i can't wait to get stuck into with you uh but but how did it all start how did you get into coaching and what was your first role yeah, um, probably going back into sort of my university days, really. Uh, I, I played a bit of non-league football um, and then I was uh, at a university in Nottingham Trent and played for the uni team there. 
and ended up in my final year sort of taking over the, the, the first team as player coach. So that was my, I guess, my first real involvement, you know, coaching a team per se. I um, really enjoyed it. Uh, we won the league, if I recall. I can't remember the exact uh, tier or Busa league it was, it was in right now. But yeah, we won the league, had a, had a decent season. And yeah, quite enjoyed it. Um, and I think I did my level... I think I did my level one around that time as well at university. So that was, that was probably, yeah, the first sort of step, I suppose. Would you, would you say that motivated you more to, to kind of get into a, a coaching pathway or, or was it something I'm, you was going to lead into anyway? No, I, I enjoyed it. Um, obviously football's, you know, been a passion all my life. So yeah, I enjoyed the the kind of coaching aspect. Um and, and it was something, you know, a little bit different. It, it was it was sometimes quite tricky juggling it with playing as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot of respect for the people out there that have, you know, sort of done it at a, a proper level. Um, not an easy thing to do. Um, but, yeah, I I didn't really see it at that stage as a, as a career option, I must admit. Um, I, was, I, was, I was studying a communications degree, so nothing sport-related. Um, and, yeah, that was... I wanted to get into the media, get into kind of marketing um, once I'd finished uh, my degree. So, yeah, at that stage, it wasn't it wasn't something that I really saw as a, a, a realistic uh, avenue. Well, it it was a good start, Paul, because you you won a league title in your in your first season, right? Well, that's true, but that maybe that was more down to my playing than my coaching. I don't know. <laughs> well, whatever happens, it was just down to you, player and coach. <laughs> So where, where did it go from there in, t- in terms of coaching? Did you go straight into another role or did you get a, a normal job, so to speak? And then did you revisit coaching after that? Yeah, so my, my experience was, um, I suppose, a little bit left field. I, I, I left university. I had a n- number of jobs that I didn't particularly enjoy, um, sales and marketing. And um, then I moved to London and I ended up working for a university. Uh, Kingston University, St George's University, which was um, a little bit more enjoyable for me. And I worked in marketing for a couple of years. And then I, I went into student support roles, um, which which was great. And it was sort of providing guidance to, 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 the, to students who, who were maybe struggling a little bit. So you can imagine the variety of issues that I had to deal with and really putting my communications degree I suppose to, to quite good use at the same time I did a bit of mentoring in South London where there used to be a scheme called positive futures which was essentially getting kids off the street giving them access to some sort of sporting opportunities and trying to use that as a, as a positive uh, yeah positive part of their life really so they weren't you know getting into crime and and, and other other things like that so I, I did that sort of part-time and and I ended up doing a little bit of coaching for positive futures, uh, sort of took a took a, a team to the the London Youth Games and things like that. So nothing, you know, of, of, of great note, but just sort of keeping my hands ticking over. I used to uh, I used to do, run some boxing sessions as well uh, once a week, which was great. And then I did I did my level two at that, at that kind of time. And then I suppose I started thinking about doing my UA for B um, off the back of that, really. So that was about going sort of, sort of seven, eight years, playing a bit of non-league, doing the odd bit of, uh, of coaching. Um, and then it got to, it got to uh, 2013. And I suppose I yeah, had a bit of a, a career change. I, I decided to leave, leave my job um, at Kingston University 
and I decided to go and volunteer um, in Sierra Leone. In in terms of before we, before we go into that, in in terms of your uh, your studies, which was in in communication, and then the roles which you mentioned, which was uh, focused around support, has any of that been useful uh, in in terms of coaching and, and dealing with players and interacting with with people? I believe so. I believe coaching is all about communication and relationship building, and I think if you can if you can do that and establish good relationships, then you're, you know, you're off, off to a good start, really. And things will follow from there. So I'm a big believer in developing the person first and then the player as well. And uh, sort of reflected in some of the roles that we'll obviously talk about later. But yeah, no, definitely. I, I think looking back in hindsight, I, it has been pretty useful. And, and I would sort of say that's one of my, my, my strengths. Quick one on that, Paul. What's So obviously you've, you kind of toyed with going into the, the football world for a while and obviously it was something that you had the passion for. Just for the listeners who are listening in now, what would you say is the, the biggest difference between the regular nine to five that you were doing um, before you went full-time into volunteering and then into full-time football and being in, in the football world full-time? Yeah, I mean, the, fo- the football world for me has is, is, is been really enjoyable. Um, it's that whole premise of, you know, just wanting to do something and then sort of getting up every day and looking forward to it. So in that respect, it has changed my life and I'm definitely happier when I'm sort of on the pitch and involved in, in, in coaching. Um, so, yeah, in that respect, it's been great. It's also allowed me to travel the world and see a number of countries, which uh, I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity. So, yeah, um, different in terms of, I think, People that maybe haven't worked in football full time don't realise the hours involved and the commitment that you kind of have to have to give to give to that um, give to that role. So I think that was a big eye opener. Um, but but looking back now, you know maybe maybe I could have done it earlier. Maybe I should have done it earlier. But I also think some of those experiences that I had in the you know in the nine to five world or you know the other the other roles I had have been useful in, in some respects now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just an interesting insight. We, you know, we have a lot of people on who, who are still involved in working full-time and doing football part-time. Um, and then we've got the other side of the spectrum where people have gone in from you know, very young age, 16, 18, and have progressed that way. Um, obviously, I'm sure there are, other, there are other people that we've had on similar to yourself, but it's just interesting to get that perspective and, and how it changed and, and what, what was, you know, you could have went into football full time and said, "Oh, I don't want to stick with it," but obviously you are sticking with it. So, just to get that insight of why. So, yeah, really interesting. And and as as Paul was going to go on to uh, before, uh, I think there comes a time where you need to kind of make a decision. Look, am I going to continue doing what I'm doing, or am I actually going to jump in and, and try and make this a, a full time thing? And Paul. Uh, just, just leading on from uh, what you mentioned before, you decided to to then volunteer in Sierra Leone. Uh, am I correct in saying with the uh, Craig Bellamy Foundation? That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. I, I've heard good things about that, and a, a few other people have gone there and then gone on to other things after that. So, uh, go into that a bit. How how was it, and how how did it help you in terms of uh, experience? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually watched an ITV documentary on. Um... On, on Craig and the project so that that had interested me and I'd read a couple of articles 
in newspapers about it as well. So I sort of followed it from afar, I guess. And it just got to a point with my uh, my career. I'd actually taken on a maternity role, which was a promotion um, at work. And then after that, that had finished and the lady came back from maternity leave, I wasn't offered the you know the role full time. So I had, I was sort of going back to a previous role, and I just felt that was a bit of a backward step. And having been you know with with an institution for sort of six seven years. Um, I, I questioned whether there was, you know, what was the worth in me staying really. And I think just I'd been in London for a number of years and I, I just got a little bit fed up with, with life really and, there and, and sort of had itchy feet to go and see some of the world. And yeah, at that point in time, it, it was a sort of a tricky time in my, my personal life as well. And it, and it just, I guess, all came together and um, I decided to sort of, yeah, up and leave. So I, uh, I'd contacted... Um, Johnny McKinstry, who was academy manager at the Craig Bellamy Foundation and uh, sort of been in touch with him. And um, after uh, sort of two or three months of, of chatting, he, he got back to me and said, look, there's an opportunity coming up. Would you like to come out for three months? So, yeah, January uh, 2013, packed my bags and uh, got on a plane to Sierra Leone, which was which was scary. Um, but, yeah, a brilliant, uh, a brilliant opportunity. And, and, and yeah, so something that I definitely don't regret now. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And uh, look, that we'll go we'll go into that later on because that then led you to the position you're in now and, and being a head coach in the top tier league of a country. And and those of you who haven't heard of or, or don't know John McKinstry, he's been a, a national team manager and, and current national team manager of, of a few different countries. So it just shows you where some opportunities can lead if you then you know if you then work towards the direction you want to work towards and, and you do focus on that and uh, you know, there are these pathways aren't a dead end unless you, you make it a dead end. And there's so much opportunity out there just from something what the majority of people don't think is worthwhile doing or don't see it as valuable. So that that's brilliant stuff. And, and how, how was the work in terms of coaching out there? Was there any challenges for you? There was challenges in terms of adapting new culture, new country. Uh, never really been to to, to Africa before. Um, I've been to Egypt and, and Tunisia, Northern Africa, but obviously very different to some of the other countries. Um, so West Africa was vibrant. It was exciting. It's a beautiful country, you know. They've, they've they had a lot of problems. They've had a lot of turmoil in the past, but uh, getting there, it was white sand beaches. It was sunshine. It was you know for me, it was just a a really exciting time some some really good players uh, some fantastic young players and um yeah and uh, working with johnny who who obviously has, has gone on like you said to to some some impressive roles he, he was a great coach to, to to learn from and i also worked with another english coach called tom Legg, who was out there at the time who uh, i learned a lot from as well what where did you go from there so i stayed in sierra leone so I volunteered for three months. Then Johnny offered me a, a permanent position, which was a paid role. So I then I had a few months back in the UK um, and then returned in that capacity. Moving on, then Johnny uh, secured the national team role in Sierra Leone. And that's when I took over. Well, I became assistant academy manager because he was away a lot of the time with the national team. So essentially running the, the project in his absence. Um, unfortunately, uh, Ebola hit in, uh, I think it was 2014, 
and that put an end to to my stay in, in Sierra Leone. We just had a, a tour of the UK. We'd, we took a team to the Milk Cup, which was a great experience for, for for those boys and those kids that were involved. We we got a draw with Fulham Fulham under 18s. We drew two two uh, in the lead up to that, which we'd been on a flight overnight and had zero sleep and turned up at Motspur Park to play them and, and gave a really great account of ourselves. So. Yeah, that, that was a fantastic trip. Great to be involved in. But unfortunately, yeah, like I said, Ebola hit and, and things kind of, yeah, were, were pretty tough um, out there. And I ended up ended up coming back to the UK. I had a sort of a couple of months not really doing too much. But prior to prior to that, I had spent a month with Manchester City. Um, we had three boys that, that came on a work placement to train with Manchester City. So I'd, uh, that was a fantastic um, opportunity for me to, to do a bit of networking, to, to watch and learn from a club like Man City. Um, so that was, that was amazing. And w- weirdly enough, I actually went to a, re- a reserve game and sat in the stands sort of just, just in front of Pellegrini, who was manager at the time, and uh, actually sat next to uh, a gentleman called Lee Johnson, who I got introduced to at half-time. And he was Oldham Athletic Manager. He's now Sunderland Manager. So, yeah, I got chatting to Lee and I said, look, I'm in Manchester for, for a little while. Can I take your number? Would it be okay to come and watch some training sessions? So I ended up watching, uh, going to watch a few sessions at Oldham. And that network just, yeah, came to fruition a couple of months later when I sort of said, I was chatting to Lee and said, you know, do you need any scouting done? And yeah, he asked me to go and watch watch some games for him. So, that was, um, yeah, that came about really just for, for, for being in that place and, and, and having that, you know, opportunity. So I ended up doing a, doing a few games game scouting for, for Oldham Athletic for a few months. Isn't that funny how op- opportunities spring out of opportunities? Literally, literally, you wouldn't have been there if you wasn't in Sierra Leone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, driving around, going to watch um, the likes of MK Dons and uh, Chesterfield and, yeah, uh, Crawley Town and, and putting reports together. I actually watched a, a young Deli Ali play for MK Dons, and yeah, I remember highlighting him as a as a big threat. And also James Madison, who was at Coventry at the time, watching him. I think I don't know if it was his debut for for Coventry, but he came on as a late sub and impressed. And I said, yeah, he'll definitely be starting in the next game, and and uh, he he did. And uh, yeah, so yeah, good 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 experiences. Um, seeing you know doing doing the scout inside of things and sort of analysing and, and and trying to help. Lee prepare for games was really interesting and uh, yeah I really appreciate him allowing me to you know to have that opportunity really. Obviously what a fantastic opportunity and I think you hit the, the nail on the head there Matt with uh, oh yeah and all this came from going to Sierra Leone for three months initially uh, that's yeah it is it is weird where opportunities do come from but I think everybody wants to know obviously hopefully your scouting was good did they win the games that you scouted? Well, they'd certainly won the first one after Coventry. I remember, oh, I remember good. saying to, Lee, I remember saying to Lee, they played a three-four-three, and he phoned, he phones me after that. I think it was the next morning. Uh, he phoned me on driving back, and he said, "Are you sure it's a three-four-three?" And then the next morning, morning, he phoned me again. He said, "The papers are saying it's three-five-two." I said, "No." Well, I said, "Obviously, there's you know variations that you can interpret it in different ways, but for me, it was a three-four-three. Um, you know, that's that's how I would prepare for the game. And yeah, I think they won the next game." quite comfortably so he was pleased with that but and did, did yeah. he call you and go it was a 3-4-3 or was he calling you at yeah. half time going it's a 4 2 one, three. what's going on <laughs> no it was a 3-4-3 three, three. he said I got it spot on but uh, yeah it was, it was tricky 
it, it was tricky. It was just like sort of me with my camera, uh, with my iPhone, you know, trying to take shots of set pieces. Mm. And then, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare the matches because it might have been going to watch it on a Saturday, driving, you know, two or three hours to go and watch a game, coming back. And then he, he ideally wanted the report by the end of the next day so we can plan for training if they're playing midweek. So it's a quick turnaround and it's, it's actually quite a lot of work. So big respect for people that work in, the, in that area. I bet he was in there at halftime saying to the lads, see now, they've set up in a 3-4-3 three, three, like, I, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's, it, it's interesting that, you know, you've got to stick with your guns. Like, you could have easily folded and gone, oh, yeah, it could have been a 3-5-2, but obviously, yeah. You, you've got yeah, no, I, felt, I did, did fail well under pressure, I must admit. Um, but Lily was great. He's a, he's a very progressive coach, very open to, to, to sort of, you know, new ideas to speaking to people it was it was really a real privilege to, to watch him work so um yeah i'm pleased that he's, he's now got the Sunderland job and hopefully he'll do well there we'll, we'll see him on there uh, Sunderland till he die till i die season three yeah <laughs> <laughs> paul so in in this situation look you just come back unfortunately from a you know you you was in a in a, a assistant academy role academy role which which would have been amazing if that would have continued for you Ben, you was able to get into a, a scouting gig, but was there any anything in the back of your mind thinking, you know, what's my next move going to be? Because, you know, I, I need to I need to get into a a, a full time coaching role or a, a secure coaching role. And was there any panic or worry, or was he confident something would come up? And then, what was the next thing? What did come up, and and how did it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you definitely question things. And you, you do wonder, and, it, and it's tough. It's, it's a very competitive industry. So I was applying for jobs and, you know, not hearing back or not even getting interviews. So, it, yeah, it was a tough time. I mean, actually, the, the, the reason that the Oldham gig came about in the first place was I applied for, a, I think it was a, it was a, a sort of a part, it was part of the role was coaching, part of it was scouting role for Oldham full time. And uh, I remember I, I put the application in and went to watch training the next day. And uh, Lee was late for training. I think he was making calls. So the, assist the assistant was taking training. And then Lee bowls up about 10, 10, 30. And, and he sort of comes over to me and he says, you applied for that job, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. He said, why didn't you tell me? I said, well, you know, I, I applied. It's, I just wanted to kind of be professional with it. And he, he started quizzing me about the who's top scorer in the league and named me the top, the top eight, you know, teams in that order. And yeah. I, I didn't have the knowledge, basically. And he said, look, I can't give you the job because you don't know enough about the league. I need someone that's yeah. totally, you know, knows it inside out. And again, it's a learning curve, you know, you sort of, it was a speculative, speculative application anyway, but I'd already done a report as part of it. So I, I, what I said to Lee, I said, look, I understand, no hard feelings, but this is a report on, um, I think it was Brist Bristol City. And I, I said, look, I, w I watched them at the weekend, so it may or may not help you in the next game. And obviously I left it with him. He, he must have liked the report. And that's when he phoned me up and said, can you go and watch Coventry? So, yeah, that, that, that was, you know, yeah, I sort of got my expenses paid, but I wasn't, like you said, I wasn't earning. It, it certainly wasn't full time. So, yeah, you do sort of question things. And I ended up doing, yeah, I think a bit of painting and decorating with my mate just to get some cash in. And, you know, you do what you, you, do what you have to do, a bit of driving work. Uh, um, but yeah, ideally, I wanted to get back into coaching because I've had that taste and, you know, felt like it was something that I wanted to pursue. So a few months went by and I did, did, did a bit of work for Oldham. Um, I was I was living in Ipswich Town, Ipswich at the time. I've got a lot of contacts at, at Ipswich Town Football Club and they've been great to me in terms of allowing me access when I'm back home. So I spent a bit of 
quite a lot of time down in the academy there, um, watching watching various age groups and, and just trying to get as much knowledge as I can and sort of, you know, just being in and around that environment. So I, I try to use the time as wisely as possible. Uh, then I ended up applying for a job with Chelsea, uh, which was based out in China. Ended up getting that role and went out there as an international head coach. So Chelsea had had a partnership with RNF Guangzhou, which is a Chinese Super League club, as you as you all know, Matt, being out in that part of the world. Yep. Um, and they were developing, a, they built this purpose-built soccer school stroke academy and they wanted they wanted a partner club basically to come in and, and, and advise and, and and help them establish the project, which is which was yeah, which was uh, what we did. How how did you enjoy that role in 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 general? Because there, there are a couple of clubs what do that. Chelsea uh, Wolves do that also. I think Cardiff have, have been doing that in the past. Uh, and and look, it is a great opportunity not just to to work on behalf of, of a club such as Chelsea, but also to work within a, a decent club setup of, like you said, uh, one, of, one of the top Super League teams. So, you know, what did you go there and was it as you expected or was it a bit of a letdown? How, how was it for you? Um, it, was an, it, it was an interesting experience. I can definitely say that wholeheartedly. Uh, there, there was frustrations, um, but there was also positives. So it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, where it was based, it was quite a rural setting. So we were about four or five hours drive from Guangzhou itself. Now, Guangzhou is the third biggest city in China, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge place. But where we were was a, a very small rural village. And uh, there, was, there was a town, which for English terms was a sizable town, but that was a, a half an hour's drive away. So where we were was literally mountains, rice fields on the doorstep as you walked out of the campus and just a very small sort of village street. So it was beautiful. Um, but it was very remote, so there, there was there was definitely you know some 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 lonely times I should say, and uh, obviously getting used to the language and pretty much no one spoke English, so yeah, difficult in that respect. Um, but we were there was four of us out there for the majority of the time from Chelsea, so I, I guess at least we had that um, you know network of, of fellow coaches that you'd sort of obviously spend a lot of time with and interact with. That is what you can call real absolute China, like village China. That that must have been tough, mate. Absolutely. It was tough, but I think, you you know, you, you try and embrace it. Um, we, RNF gave us a lot of resources. We, we each, each, each of us had a translator that we worked with and they were great people. So you learned a lot about their culture and, and um, the, the, the country from, from those guys. In terms of frustrations, uh, did it feel like sometimes you could have done more, but was red taped a little bit, which is one of the common things you hear from coaches or, or was it just think general things going, going at being pushed along a little bit too slow sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes it was too slow. You know, some, sometimes some of the equipment and uh, facilities that were supposed to be up and running weren't there as, as fast as, you know, you'd have liked. Um, but in terms of, in China, it was definitely one of the, the better facilities that I visited. I was lucky enough to go to Shandong Lunin and, and Guangzhou Evergrande and see see their facilities. And I think ours was certainly, um, you know, as good, if not better than theirs in terms of the, the quality. But yeah, I mean, you want you want things to progress and, and, and sometimes it doesn't go as, as, as quickly as you like because of whatever reason. And uh, 
it's just the way it is and you know sometimes patient patience is needed but uh i look back now and and, and sort of some of the boys that we that we had um are now sort of representing china at youth level and there's definitely sort of progress from from when we started so yeah really proud of the work we did there and ajax are there now i believe and they've, they've taken things on so yeah that was um but it was a good three years a couple of questions, Paul. Did they tell you at the interview that you were going to be in such a remote area or there was, was everything transparent? Yeah, I can't recall if it was, I think it was alluded to, but I'm not sure it was, um, you know, really, really explained as clearly as maybe it could have been. Um, but I remember going once, once they sort of accepted going to an induction down, at, uh, down in Cobham at the training ground and they were showing photos. So they, they did give us, you know, a bit of a brief and an, an update and, uh, three guys had already been there for, for, for a little while. So they'd already, I think they were back at that time and we were all going to go and travel back together. So they, they gave me a bit of a lowdown. So it wasn't totally uh, unexpected. And I'd, I'd already had sort of, you know, two years off and on in, in Sierra Leone, which was yeah. a small, where the academy was there. We were based in a small, small fishing village. So again, you know, I was quite used to, I guess, being in that, that kind of environment. So it wasn't totally new for me. And did you say I are now there in partnership with them and Chelsea have moved out or was that? Correct. Yeah. 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 No, the partnership with Chelsea ended, I think they had a five-year agreement, um, which, which came to, came to an end and they decided to, 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 yeah, to, to go with Ajax. So that, that sort of brought an end to that, that time in China for me. And then when you mentioned that they got the, the facilities that you got, can you just kind of give us an idea of what the facilities were that you had at your campus? That would be interesting, I think, for people to... Con- yeah, that I mean, people can probably Google it and, and uh, see some of the, the, the pictures. Um, but it was, I can't remember how many acres it was, the site, but we had one one sort of stadium pitch with a running track around it, full floodlit. floodlit. Um, we had a gym, we had... I think there was, they were building another 11-a-side pitch, grass pitch, um, sort of as I was leaving. And then they had around, they had, I think, two, two five-a-side pitches, um, yeah, four or five seven-a-side pitches, and again, another five or six nine-a-side pitches, something like that. And they were all artificial, all floodlit. So it, quite an impressive facility. There was also a school on site, staff accommodation, canteen um yeah so it, it was it was a nice facility you know i had a, had a really nice apartment and uh we had a chef that was provided for us by the club so you know we we, we did get looked after and uh, various trips around china which was great going to see some different places and, and as matt will know it's such a huge country it's so diverse it's uh you know so some great experiences also got to go to hong kong a few times which was a fantastic place to travel to so yeah, really enjoyed it overall. And um, my biggest regret is probably not not learning enough Chinese. <laughs> yeah, that's real. By the end, I could I sort of delivered a few sessions in, in Mandarin because for whatever reason, there wasn't translators available. So by the end, I could actually put on a session, you know, and sort of get by with a, a mixture of my probably very poor Mandarin and, and, and demoing. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> So there was blessings. Fantastic. Having a, having a translator was having a translator sort of full time was was fantastic, and they were invaluable in some respects. But then it also made you a little bit lazy to to maybe not push on as much as you know you could have done with the language. Yeah, 
I, I, I concur absolutely in, in terms of that. And yeah, you pick up the, some of the main, uh, the main action words and, and you can actually get by uh, going through a session. Yes, not in great depth conversational wise, but actually just delivering the session uh, is doable. And then you can take them words out into the real world and then you find out it has a different meaning and you're telling people to turn around, to flip over, <laughs> to, to run upside down. And it's completely, literally uh, uh, different words. But what, what, what a great yes. experience uh, for, for yourself, Paul, and the other coaches out there. And, and the roles what do come across like that, I, I would encourage anyone to snap up. Yes, as Paul said, there'll be frustrations, but overall a great experience. You get to do some coaching, different culture, different challenges, different environment. And also there's opportunities to then progress and, and also see different cities of the country. And just, James, just touching on your, your question about the facilities. The, the facilities in, in China is unreal. And people say, yeah, but they got the money and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but in some terms, not the, okay, not the top, top, top Premier League clubs in England, but literally like even a league one, a tier two club in China. And if a team's been relegated now to tier three, they put most of the uh, professional clubs in, in England to shame in terms of training facilities and, and whatnot. And as Paul said, you know, you've you got your, your catering, you've got your, uh, your kitchen, your dining room, some players and staff live in the hotels of a stadium. You've got your training pitches on, on the complex and it is really unreal. Uh, and unfortunately they, sometimes like in in uh, different countries you don't just get you don't get to use the facility properly or, or you don't make use of the full resources what are available which is a shame and when you look at the size of the province alone uh, a province in china is like a, a country so just imagine the talent if done correctly what could be captured in such a region with such a facility and i mean this is another massive topic uh, not for this uh, chat but you know and that begs the question just like the USA why the uh, uh, the national teams aren't doing uh, better than they are um, Paul did you uh, did you have to leave uh, was it end, end of contract or it was time for you to go uh, did you head back to England after that yeah so as I said the partnership was ending um, I didn't have too much left on my contract so yeah I went back to the, the UK um, Continued to work for Chelsea for a little bit. Managed to travel to a few, few different places: Hawaii, Qatar, Thailand. So, yeah, I, I did okay out of staying on, but it wasn't sort of anything per, per, permanent. It was sort of ad hoc trips, which which were great, but um, yeah, it wasn't sort of frequent enough. But still, being involved with Chelsea was good in terms of when we were back in the UK. We we were we were sort of had the office was based at the training ground, so we had a lot of access to go and you know to go and view academy. Um, training sessions to to go on some sort of in in club courses talent id so in terms of upskilling it, it was really useful and um yeah definitely a, a good experience overall i think do you think if you if you didn't have the experience uh, abroad previously that you would have got the role uh, for for chelsea as an international coach or do you think that that just helped your your cv I think it. I think it definitely helped the fact that I'd, you know, already been in and lived in a in a different country. So I think that was definitely a positive. Um, I think in terms of coaching, some of some of the the, the pedigree of the, the the boys we had in Sierra Leone, I think that would have would have helped as well. Um, I had to do a practical interview, so without having that number of hours on the pitch and stuff, you know, maybe I wouldn't have 
interviewed as well, which I hopefully did because I got the job. So, yeah, I think that definitely was helpful. And prior to that, as we've already said, you know, a lot of my stuff was in sort of higher education and, and different business. So it wasn't really a football-specific CV. So I think think without having that, it would have been a, a, maybe difficult to, to, to land that role, definitely. That, that's a really good point about the... Uh, the exposure to coaching hours which you would have accumulated in in the previous role which some uh, in the nicest way some other coaches with more experience but possibly not as much coaching uh, at, at that time uh, may may not have uh, interviewed as well as you did obviously so yeah that, that's a that's a great point and uh, how, how did the uh, how did a move to the SOTU come about then? Yeah, so I was, as I said, just doing some ad hoc trips for Chelsea and back back, back to, you know, just trying to do a few different things to, to, to generate some money and some income. So sort of a similar position to, I guess, that, that interim period between Sierra Leone and, and Chelsea. Um, looking for things, applying for things, not really, uh, yeah, not, not getting anywhere. Questioning whether I should stay in football or whether I should pursue other other pathways um, and then kick for life who are based in Lesotho. Um, a role came up there and they'd already actually been in touch with me while I was in China, sort of midway through my Chelsea contract, you know, offering me a, a role out here. Um, but because I was midway for a, 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 you know, quite a good contract with Chelsea and it definitely wasn't really of interest at the time. Although I spoke to them, I sort of said it wasn't the right time, but yeah, the, a role came up again uh, to sort of head up the academy here. And my previous experience, certainly with um, the Craig Bellamy Foundation, was something they were very interested in because they they wanted to emulate a similar model. Um, it's a similar model to to the Right to Dream, who are based in Ghana, uh, which I, I don't know if you guys know, but a very successful yeah. project in Africa. So yeah, I spoke to them and it was, you know, why not? Let's go and have another African adventure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that was what I was gonna I was gonna ask if it's similar, a similar template to to Ride to Dream, because that's a huge academy and, and one of the uh, one of the well known, most well known ones in uh, across Africa and very well run as well. And and what was you able to to um, continue to progress in in terms of development for yourself but also uh you know you you were you was running the academy there you was heading up the academy it was a very very high responsibility role and uh what, what, was there any new learnings for you or anything you had to adjust or adapt or was you quite comfortable with it from the the previous work you'd been doing in in china and uh, sierra leone I think it was quite comfortable because of those past experiences. So I, I feel I hit the ground running. It was definitely trying to expand the program. So I scouted, re, uh, well, yeah, nationwide um, as logistically it would allow us to, to, to bring in some, some new talent. So I brought in about six or seven new kids to the academy. Um, so we sort of grew it to to around 20 boys. I did cut a few that weren't fulfilling their um, part of the, the contract. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was a similar model. They, they based it 
in a similar way. I mean, Craig Bellamy Foundation, Right to Dream, had been advisors, I believe, in the uh, the sort of at the stage where they were starting out. And Kick for Life had also been in touch with Right to Dream and asked them for some sort of consultancy as well. So it was a, definitely a very similar model um, that they were trying to emulate, um, albeit on maybe a smaller scale because of the size of the country. So yeah, there were, there were, again, there's challenges, facilities after being in China was certainly a step back again. And I remember my first day coming to see the pitch and it was terrible and, <laughs> you know, hardly any cones and, and, and the balls were, you know, awful and I was thinking you know why have, I, why have I done this to myself why am I sort of back here after having I guess had some some nice uh nice nicer experiences in, in China in terms of although there was frustrations it, overall it was pretty good <laughs> yeah I can I can imagine that you, you kind of felt like you'd gone backwards in terms of resources and, and equipment but in, in reality it was a, another great opportunity and there. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the the Kick for Life uh, Academy and, and and club, should we call it, also had a senior team, and which you eventually got involved in as well. Now, would would the players then lead into the senior team uh, from from the academy? So, Kick for Life had a, a youth development program, so the, the the general youth development would would be leading towards the senior team and that was for for both the, the women's team and the, the men's team the academy was a, a a little bit separate in terms of the, the plan for these guys was to try and get scholarships um abroad whether that's in the usa or the or the the uk and that's something that we did um in sierra leone as well so that was more of the the model not necessarily to to to, to play for the the senior team here um, I think COVID has forced them to have a, a little restructure, restructure and maybe those two uh, models will be merged a little bit more moving forward, but I'm not too sure how that's going to work. But um, yeah, it was more a case of can we sort of seek or source um, opportunities for, for kids um, outside the country? Paul, how is the, the, the standard of, first of all, the youth players compared between the three places that you've worked in uh, Sierra Leone, Lesotho and Guangzhou? Where, where, where would you, you don't have to rank them in case, you know, you don't want to put like considering the levels, considering the facilities, where did the, where did the talent, where does the talent lie? I mean, I think I'm, I'm a big believer that there is talent everywhere. So the difference is opportunities are not everywhere. Um, what I will say about Sierra Leone is the scale of the talent in country is huge because the passion for football is crazy and it's certainly probably the poorest of those three countries. So kids see it as a way out of poverty. They see it as a way to better themselves, to better lives for their family. So the drive and determination of the, the kids I worked with in Sierra Leone was ridiculous. And, and because of that, um, I would place Sierra Leone in terms, probably probably number one in terms of that. Okay. And then saying, what about obviously going into this senior level, you would have seen, obviously we know all, a lot of money in China in senior football, um, maybe changing a little bit over the last, since COVID. Um, but then Sierra Leone, top tier, China, top tier, Lesotho, top tier. How do they all compare? China's obviously got the, the infrastructure, the money, the resources. So I think 
you know, the Chinese leagues, they actually have leagues, you know, the one in Sierra Leone didn't run for a long time for political reasons, for, yeah, think things that we probably haven't got time to go into now, which was a real shame. Um, but in terms of talent, yeah, huge talent in the country. And, you know, one, one of the boys um, that we had at the academy there now plays for Anderlecht after having a, a few years in, De- in Denmark. Yeah, he's playing for Vincent Company. Um, wow. And, and doing pretty well out in Anderlecht, I believe. So he's just made his uh, debut for the for the national team a couple of months ago. Scored against Nigeria. Wow. Um, Fantastic. And got an assist. I think he came on at half time. They were four 0 down. They drew four four. So uh, yeah, really really pr- proud of him, Mustafa. What's Bundu. his name? Mustafa Bundu. Mustafa Bundu. Let's watch out. Yeah. Mustafa. Did he, did he mention one you to watch in the post match interview? Did he give you a little mention, Paul? <laughs> No, he, he didn't. But I did send him a message to say well done afterwards. But yeah, no, he didn't. He's an interesting guy, actually, because he, he, he went through... We managed to get him a scholarship in the UK. So he studied um, at uh, Hartbury, Hartbury Sports College. So he came to the UK, studied there, played for their team, um, ended up going to Hereford, got to the FA Vars final for Hereford. And um, I think they got a promotion that season as well. And then um, had a, had a trial with Chelsea. Didn't they didn't offer him anything? But then went to Denmark and signed for Aarhus in Denmark, where he was for I think two or three years before now coming to Anderlecht. So, yeah, huge talent. Uh, I always knew he'd be a pro. First session I saw, uh, unbelievable talent. So um, yeah, he's definitely one to watch for the future. And we've also got an, uh, one of the lads is now playing out in uh, America for San Diego Loyal, which I believe Landon Donovan is the, the coach. And, and then we've got, an, I think, about 12, 12 kids out in the US on, on scholarships. And I'm hoping one of them might be involved in the draft, MLS draft pick um, coming up. So, wow. yeah, so, so th- some good success from that, from that program for sure. Yeah, Fantastic. Ab- ab- absolutely. And, and uh, everyone listening, uh, look, just a little networking tip, if you can get it. Uh, you may have heard Paul just mention then that he was able to to message one of his his former players, uh, one of the former kids who who was at Analex and and came on and scored uh, for the national team. Uh, if you start working with players who are in such positions, they are then in your network. If you can personally message them and say congratulations for scoring on on your debut or for making a, a your your national team debut. You know that is your network, so <laughs> you, you got to be use. You got to be looking to use such things, and you got to be looking to get yourself into these positions and situations. And in terms of yeah, being the best coach you can be, you may not want to be a coach at the professional levels or senior levels, but if you want to progress, as in uh, become. Uh, a coach at the highest level and make the most money or or whatever your aim is, that is the pathway you may have to reach towards and your network will then follow. So uh, that that's really nice to see. And a lot of coaches do keep in touch with the players, especially if the players hold uh, a good respect for the coach as well, which is nice to hear. Just having a look on Wikipedia here at Mustafa Bundu. And in the 2015-16 season for Hereford, he scored. He played 29 games and scored 26 goals. That's a pretty, pretty big, good return. Ball machine. And then when, and then when he left uh, AGF, that's what it's called on here in the Superliga. He yeah, was. Yeah, that's Aarhus. Yeah. 
uh, who he was the um, so he's purported to have been the signing of the most expensive sale in the history of Aarhus of 25 to 30 million Danish kroner. So there you go. Wow. How interesting. Look at that. Beautiful. And that came from that came all from your coaching pool, of course. <laughs> uh, not just me. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> right, you got to you got to take the wins where you can get them. No. Paul, <laughs> Paul is very modest. Me and James will big you up for you, mate. We we know how it is. <laughs> Paul, last last little question from me uh, because I love coaches who were who were coaching the senior teams and uh, and whatnot. How how did it go as a head coach and and did you enjoy it and uh, how how did you do as a team? Yeah, so last season uh, I was I, I agreed to just sort of help out a little bit with some of the training sessions where time allowed. Um, they brought a new head coach in. I actually lost their previous head coach to uh, the, probably the biggest team in, in in country here. So it was a it was a you know a bit of a, an upheaval, I suppose. Um, things didn't go too well for that coach and um, they ended up parting ways around I think it was around February time and so they they asked me you know would you would you consider it I said hey listen you know it's tough because I'm I'm obviously in charge of the academy I've got a lot of work to do there so I'm just wary of the time commitments but I said let, let me let me take over on an interim basis and we'll sort of take it from there so yeah I took over for sort of seven games before the pandemic broke and, and then everything got cut short. So, yeah, enjoyed it. Really good bunch of um, bunch of players. Quite a young team. Obviously, I'd kn I'd known them because I'd been around the, the site and the, and the ground for a couple of years, working with the academy boys. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was it was a nice transition. Um, I think performance has certainly improved. We managed to. Uh, I think we played seven, one, two, drew, draw two, and and lost three. I think that was. Um, but two of the three were against the the team that was unbeaten, who we'd lost the head coach to. So huh. we were actually close to get closer games and managed to score in, in both games against them. So they were actually close games. One was a cup game and one one was league. So the, the three that I lost two were against the the best team in the league, who were like I said unbeaten. Um, some of the the grounds are pretty pretty ropey um, but the better teams play at the national stadium so you know you, you get to you get to coach at the national stadium which is which is a nice novelty to have um, and so, some of the if you can play there against one of the big teams you might get you know five five thousand six thousand spectators come and watch so the atmosphere can, can be quite quite good um, but it's improving you know that they're, they're trying to, to go in the right direction they've They've got a couple of players uh, currently playing out in um, in the, the the Premier League in um, South Africa in the PSL over there. Yeah. So they're they're sort of they're, there is that's the main opportunity from here because um, there's a lot more money in that league. It's a it's a lot better structured and established. So that is the main pathway from Lesotho into South Africa. But um, yeah, no work working with players that I believe have got potential to become internationals. Um, Three of the boys, two two from the academy, one from one from the development side, who actually gave his debut to for the senior team. Recently played for the under twenties in um, the Kasafa tournament, which was held in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. So that was um, that was great to see those guys, you know, getting national recognition. It was tough for them because they're they still got two or three years at that age group. So I think credit to Lesotho for picking a younger squad. Um, there can be a lot of age cheating in Africa, so I think. 
credit to, like I said, credit to the, uh, the football association, football association here for going with a, a genuine and young team and, and trying to build for the future. And that's the way to go, in my opinion. Paul, it, yes. it, it sounds like you, you got a, a load of great experience there. And, uh, Look, and, and unfortunately, you, you you was telling James and I before we came on live uh, uh, because of a uh, coronavirus uh, and whatnot. You you're going to have to leave leave your role there, which is a big shame. But I'm I'm sure someone needs to snap uh, a coach up with your experiences and your ability uh, very soon. And it, yeah, what a load of great experience there, mate. And I'm sure, and I hope you're not going to be short of a few. Uh, offers uh, as soon as possible. Thanks. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it's not obviously the greatest time for anyone looking for, for work and opportunities at the moment. And I think you have to appreciate that it's a tough time for people all around the world. So, yeah, I, yeah I, try and stay positive, try and stay optimistic and uh, yeah, keep an eye out. I've, I've managed to sort of get on. Uh, Get on a couple of courses so i'm doing my uefa a and elite youth a at the moment so at least i'm oh, good, trying to make trying to make good use of the the time that i have great stuff and before we say cheerio uh james are there any other landlocked countries what was i right with bhutan right so interesting we've got to go back to the question you know when they say in an exam you should always re read the question properly so <laughs> we must clarify the question that there are only three enclaved countries, which mean like Lesotho, that is completely surrounded by only one other country. There are many other landlocked countries. Ah, like, uh, that's, the, that's the detail. I failed. That's I know I failed. Detail. Yeah. The devil in the detail. So you were right with Bhutan and I was right with Lao. They are both landlocked, but there are many others as well. But there are only three enclaved countries. One is Lesotho. One is San Marino. And yeah. one is the Vatican City. Ah, oh, man. What, what's the, who, who's San Marino landlocked by? Italy. Italy, yeah. <laughs> so Italy's got two of them. So it's kind of cheating. So anyway, interesting little bit of trivia. And hopefully that's going to come up on a quiz at some point And we'll be like, yeah, we know that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and if people don't listen to the full episode, then it's, it's their loss. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paul, it's been a pleasure chatting, mate, and it's been really interesting to hear your uh, your story. It really, as I found it, I find it really interesting personally as well. And uh, all the best for you for the future, mate. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, very welcome. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paul.